Thank you. just delighted to be able to gather again in God's house as his family to fellowship together. We are continuing our journey through Romans and we have arrived at Romans chapter 12. Uh, here's the interesting thing about what we're going to talk about today. We've been for the past few weeks, we've been digesting and talking about Dave's entire chapters. And I've been completely and totally out of breath. Now, I'm not telling you that's not going to happen today. But here's the interesting thing. Today, we're just going to deal with one verse. Isn't that different? Romans chapter 12, Michael has already read it to you, but we're going to read it again. Somebody say amen. amen. Just verse 1. Romans chapter 12, only verse 1. Here's what it says. Here's what it says. Would you stand with me since it's only one verse? I believe you can stand for that long. Would you stand as we, amen, honor God and his word? Let's read it. Uh, from his word, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this. This is from uh, the ESV version. Whatever version you has is, have is fine. Here's what it says. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, means that he's talking to fellow believers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. King James says your reasonable service. Amen. You can be seated. That's all. That's it. That's everything. <laughs> We're going to see if we can dig everything we can out of that one verse today. I believe there's some stuff there. Yvette, I think there's some preaching in that verse. Amen. If I was, it, if I was in the church I grew up in, I'd get happy right about here. There's some preaching in that verse right there. <laughs> That'll preach, amen. Here it is, here it is. Uh, believe it or not, believe it or not, we began our journey through the book of Romans way back on August 11th. Do you believe that? It, it, you believe it's been that long? We've been in Romans for that long, and we've still got a ways to go, but we've been, Brother Kimmy, we've been in Romans since August 11th. That's when we preached our first message from Romans, from Romans. And up to this point, as we've journeyed through Romans, Paul has taken us all on quite a ride. Hadn't he? He's taken us all on, on quite a ride. For the most part, he's dealt with the intricacies of doctrine. From one to where we've come to now, that's been Paul's focus, doctrine. He's, he's, he's drilled that home to us. And Rather than kind of recapping like I normally do some of the things that Paul has taught us since chapter 1, to recap and illustrate what he's done, I thought I would do something a little different. I thought that I would take you back down memory lane. Is that all right? From August 11th to last week, what has Paul shared with us? And to do that, I thought I would remind you all of some of the titles 
that I've used to preach from these passages and to illustrate these passages and to uh, describe what Paul, I thought, was saying in these various passages. So then, if you would allow me to, I'd like to just remind us all as we take a short trip down memory lane, what we've talked about since August 11th. Now, I need to tell you there's 21 of these, right? 21, and I remember I was out for a few weeks, so there's some, but 21, here, here's, here's what we did, right? Beginning in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, we said, we talked about the righteousness of God. And then 1, 8 through 15, talked about the marks of authentic Christianity, Chapter 1, 16 and 17, the very gate of paradise. Chapter 1, 18 through 32, perfect love, followed by 2, 1 through 16, perfect justice. 2, 17 through 29, we talked about religiosity versus a redeemed life. Then I was out, and then I came back, and in 3, 9 through 20, we talked about Paul's summation of the human condition. I like that one. That's pretty good. Remember, I told y'all about my Matlock affinity, to, you know, and all that. Perry Mason, and yeah, yeah. I thought I was gonna be Dave Elizabeth. I thought I was gonna be a lawyer at one point, but anyway, Lord, <laughs> Lord took me in a different direction. And then chapter three, one of my other favorites along the way. All these have been my favorites, but this one stands out to me because uh, of the title three twenty-one and thirty-one. But now. It's simple, but it has a lot of impact going on right there. But now, and then 4, 1 through 12, we talk about walking in the footsteps of Abraham. Chapter 4, 13 through 25, we talked about hope against hope. And then in 5, 12 through 21, uh, 1 through 11, rather, we talked about access through Christ. 5, 12 through 21, we talked about a tale of two legendary men, Adam and Jesus. Y'all remember that? And then 7, 1 through 6, another one of my favorites, we talked about a funeral and a wedding. Amen, somebody. I get happy just, whoo, y'all have to excuse me. 7, 7 through 12, we talked about, we asked the question, is the law sin? And then 7, 15 through 25, we talked about two in one as we looked at this struggle and this battle that Paul was having on the inside that when he would do good, evil was present with him. Then we moved to my favorite chapter in all the Bible, chapter 8. And in 8, 1 through 11, I shared with you the thrill of victory. Then complete in the rest of chapter 8, 18 through 30, the hope of glory. And then we wrapped up chapter 8 in 31 through 39, and I reminded you that we're not just, key word there is just, we're not just, we're conquerors, but we're more than that. We're not just conquerors. All of chapter 9, that's the reason why I'm so out of breath, because we started doing these whole, in chapter 9, we did the whole thing, right? And in chapter 9, it was challenging, but we talked about God's sovereignty. Followed by chapter 10, whole chapter, we talked about not God's sovereignty, and that's not the only thing, because following that, there is man's responsibility. And then last week, we finished that section in all of chapter 11, talking about God's grand plan, God's grand plan. And you'll recall that as we began chapters 9 
through 11, I shared with you that these three chapters made up one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture. And looking back, we know now that Paul's focus in that passage, in that section of Scripture, was salvation and the Jew. It's what he was concerned with, was the salvation of his brothers, his fellow Jews. He, he, he was concerned with that. Paul wanted to show them that God was not neglecting them in the present age. Israel's failure, Paul reminds us, is neither total nor permanent. He reminds them there's a remnant. God always has a remnant. And in God's good time, Israel will be restored to a place of national prominence and blessing. That's what Paul does in chapters 9 through 11. Paul now shifts, and he shifts from the, this doctrinal foundation that he lays in chapters 1 through 11, including, including, by the way, those deep theological waters of God's sovereignty and God's plan that he covered in 9 through 11, he shifts from that to the practical matter of Christian comfort. The practical matter of Christian. That's where we are now. We've arrived at, at, at this place. The, the practi- it, it's, 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 it's practicality now. He's given us uh, doctrine now in this foundation. Now it's practical. Beginning here in chapter 12, through the end of this letter in chapter 16, it will be about this, the practical matter of Christian conduct. So he goes from a heavy dose of information to the necessary step of application. You have to, so you have to see that. You, it's not, we have to get beyond just wanting to be filled with information and understand that God gives us the information so that we can know how to apply it. Application is important. And if I was in the church I grew up in, I'd tell you there's another Asian in there, and that's celebration. (laughs) So you got to have information. You got to have application. What do I do with this? And then there has to be, for me at least, maybe not for you, but for me, there has to be a time of celebration knowing that God did all of this for me, little old me. He sent his son. He blessed me. He gave me his word. He orders my steps. And for me, it just causes me to celebrate sometimes. I'm sorry. But, but Paul, Paul does at least two of these things. I probably added the last one. That's just me. But Paul, Paul gives us information. For 11 chapters, he, he fills us with information. And then at the end of his letter, 12 through 16, he shifts to application. What do we do with this? Both of these are absolutely essential. You can't dwell on one and forsake the other. You can't dwell on information and forsake application. Likewise, you can't dwell on application and forsake the information. You can't do that. To leap into the practical section without the doctrine would be like building a house without a foundation. Any house house you've ever seen built, first thing that happens is that there's a foundation laid. A solid foundation may not be exciting to look at, but without it, your house will not stand for long. May not be that exciting, but it's necessary. So then, the information that Paul has given us, the doctrine is essential 
Uh, the whole point, on the other hand, is to spend all of your time on the foundation and never build the house would be useless. So you can't stop with the foundation. Right. You got to you do some building. Right. You got to you, you got to you can't stop there. The whole point of laying the foundation is to build an attractive house to live in. That's the reason why you build the foundation. So beginning in chapter 12, verse one, Paul begins to build the actual house that he's been talking about for 11 chapters. Now it's building time. He, be, he begins now to give insight into the practical side of our day to day walk with God. Uh, this is an area that we cannot, we must not overlook. So Paul begins to give us insight into how do we walk with God day by day. What do we do practically to be able to please God and to walk with him and for him to be pleased with us? How do we apply everything that he said? Uh, first, let's take a look at the opening statement of chapter 12. The opening statement is found in the words that precede the comma in this verse. And it's, it's these words right here. I appeal to you, therefore. That's the opening statement of this whole chapter. That's the opening statement of this whole new section that Paul starts in 12. He'll end in 16. The opening statement is this. I appeal to you, therefore. That's what he opens with. Paul says, Later in this verse that one should give themselves completely to God as a living sacrifice. We'll talk more later about exactly what that means. But he opens the verse and the chapter with the reason why we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And he'll share that reason in the next section of this verse, but we're still in the opening statement. So to substantiate his forthcoming reason, he inserts a therefore. And I've always heard that when there's a therefore, you need to ask, what's the therefore, right? So, so we need to ask that question. And I'll, let me help you answer. The therefore that Paul puts in this verse links back. You know what therefore does? It makes you look back, doesn't it? It makes you look back. And the therefore in 12.1 is there for you to look back at what Paul has already said. And so it links uh, chapters 12 through 16 to chapters 1 through 11. It causes you to look back. What did Paul say in these first 11 chapters? Therefore, it relates back to everything he says in chapters 1 through 11, where he began to show that we all are helplessly lost in sin without Christ. That's essentially what he says in 1 through 11, that all of us are helplessly lost in sin apart from Christ. And he gets to chapter 12 and he says, therefore, because of that, the reason then for the therefore is if this is truly our condition, and I believe it is, I believe what Paul says in these first 11 chapters, I believe we are helpless and lost in sin apart from Christ. And if that's the case, if this is truly our condition without Christ, we need one thing above all else, which leads to the next section of this verse. One thing we need above all else. What we desperately needed, which also is the reason why Paul says one should give themselves completely to God, is mercy. That's what we desperately needed. That's, that's what we desperately needed is God's mercy. Mercy was God's remedy for our condition. It was, I say was because he already did it. 
Now, I know we receive his mercies, and his mercies are new every day. But the main mercy, can I use that? I don't know if that's proper or not, but I'm going to use it anyway because I have the liberty right now. I have the microphone, right? And so I'm going to say that God's main mercy, because I know we, Brother Sam, we experience his mercy every day, but his main mercy is a was. It's a past tense because he already did it. Y'all know what he did, right? He sent his son to hang on a cross. Oh, I wish I, boy, I, I, could, I, could, I could just take off right here. He sent his son to hang on an old rugged cross. They, they, they hung him high. They stretched him wide. They nailed nails in his hands and nails in his feet. They plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they hung a sign over his head that said king of the Jews. Y'all know what happened. Can I channel my old Baptist days? He died. Didn't he die? (laughs) He died. He went to the grave and he stayed there. But the reason why This mercy is past tense is because he didn't stay in the grave early. That's my old self coming out. Early Sunday morning, he got up. Somebody finish that with me for me. With all power, his mercy, this main mercy is past tense because it was his remedy. But it is present tense, our reason. It was God's remedy. But his mercy is our reason, present tense. It's the reason Paul gives us that we should have a desire to do what he's getting ready to tell us to do in a minute, present our bodies. You know the reason why we ought to do it? Because of God's mercy. You know the definition of mercy, right? Not giving you what you deserve. Every time I think about that, I just feel like giving God everything. We sung it this morning. I want to I give him all of me. I want to give him everything because I know I deserved his wrath. Right? Uh, so thankfully, though, mercy is what God is all about. He rem- Paul reminds us of it in Romans eleven thirty two 32 when he says, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Although we don't deserve it, all we can do is cry out for his mercy. And he has proven that he will respond when we cry out. Because Romans 10, 13 says this, for, every, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be, will be saved. Right? He responds. Paul says the proper response to receiving God's mercy is to give yourself totally to him out of gratitude because we th- we're so thankful and, 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 and appreciative that our proper response should be to give yourself totally to him. In light of this, he gives, Paul gives, specific instruction in the remainder of verse 1, which leads me, you know, I always like to ask questions. All right, that's the Perry Mason in me. <laughs> it leads me to ask three questions. Would y'all help me ask and answer, help me ask them, and I'll see if we can answer them right. First question is this: 
What does it mean to present our bodies a living sacrifice? What is Paul talking about there? What, what exactly? Can we unpack that for a minute? What does that mean? All through, here, here it is, here it is, all throughout the New Testament, Jesus and Paul have been about changing the ingrained mindsets of those they encountered. In doing so, the meanings of words and concepts were often challenged. For instance, let's look at Jesus. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 44, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. We probably couldn't deal too well with, with that. <laughs> and if anyone will, <laughs> anyone will sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your neighbor, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is in the business of changing conventional wisdom about concepts and about words. Paul is no different. Paul does it too. He does it throughout his writings, but in particular, since we're in chapter 12, let's see what Paul does in chapter 12. In chapter 12, Paul challenges conventional thought regarding sacrifice. The concept of presenting a sacrifice was familiar to the Jews and some of the Gentiles. The Jews were all familiar with the ritual of taking a lamb to the temple and watching the priest slit its throat and collect the blood in a bowl. Then after the life had, had left the lamb, it was placed on the altar and burned as an offering. Jews were familiar with that picture. They were familiar with that reference to sacrifice as it related to animal sacrifice. Well, Paul's not talking about that, right? So what, they, what was unfamiliar to them was the idea of a living sacrifice. What is that all about? What is, what is a living sacrifice? What, what is it? The whole thing likely sounded oxymoronic to them. It, it, it likely sounded like it didn't add up. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't go together, right, to them because, because in their minds, sacrifice alludes to death and not life. But remember, Jesus and Paul are in the business of transforming thought processes and changing mindsets about concepts and about words. And so Paul pours a new meaning into this word sacrifice. When they heard sacrifice, they likely immediately thought of atonement for sins, which is what they were brought up and trained to learn to know about sacrifice. Paul clearly, though, has something else in mind. Because sacrifice at this time and at this time now is no longer a requirement for salvation and righteousness. Why? I just told you a few minutes ago. He died. <laughs> Didn't he die? He died on the cross. And because he died, sacrifice is no longer necessary for righteousness, for salvation, for the atonement of sin, because Christ shed blood fulfilled that requirement once and for all. It's already been covered. It's already been taken care of. Uh, but sacrifice, though, remains an admirable gesture in the eyes of God. 
God is still well pleased with sacrifice. The offering itself has simply changed because of Christ. God is still wanting us to sacrifice to him. But we don't have to do it anymore by offering animals. We don't have to do it anymore by shedding blood. Jesus did that. Paul is saying now God, rather than animals and blood, God now wants you. <laughs> and you. <laughs> and you. <laughs> and me. He wants, he, wants, he wants us. He no longer desires the blood of bulls and of goats. He's not interested in that. He, his, his idea of sacrifice now is he, he wants us. All of us. All of you, the totality of your life and activities of which your body is the vehicle of expression. That's what Paul is saying in this text. God wants all of us. Presenting your body is different than just being a present body. <laughs> Let me say it again. Presenting your body is different than just being a present body. Just being present and accounted for is not enough. Is that right? Y'all remember in school you had to do that, you know, present. I was in the military. We had to do that present. You know, you had to speak up let them know you were there. That's, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not saying if you show up, that's enough. He's saying, no, it's, more, it's deeper than that. Just being present is not enough. The word Paul uses, which is translated present, is the Greek word peristemi. Peristemis. Everybody say it with me. Peristemi. Here's what it means. It means to come alongside or stand by something or someone. To come alongside or to stand by something or someone. That's what Paul is using. That's the word translated. That's, that's the idea of presenting that Paul is using. The Christian life begins with total commitment and irrevocable presentation. That's where we start. Paul says, says it this way, in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's what presenting means. Walk worthy of the calling by which you've been called. Jesus wants us to commit our bodies as a living sacrifice and stand alongside of him and stand by with him because here it is, he did it for us first. So Jesus says, if I did it for you, you should be able to do it for me. Here's what it says in John 15, 13. Greater love had no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend and Jesus lays down his life for us. And he says, stand with me. Stand with me now. It's a call to give yourself away, to glorify and be used by God. It reminds me of the song by William McDowell. Some of y'all are familiar with the song entitled, I Give Myself Away. Here's what McDowell says, I give myself away so you can use me. He says, here I am, here I stand. Lord, Lord, Lord. My life is in your hands. Lord, I'm longing to see your desires revealed in me. I give myself away so you can use me. Take my heart. Take my life as a what? As a living sacrifice. All my dreams and all my plans, Lord, I place them 
in your hands. I give myself away so that you can use me. Then there's another song that kind of fits as well. It says this, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary just for you. That's what God is requiring of us, that we would be a living sanctuary. When one gives himself away to God, he is allowed to be an absolute in absolute control of the will, the emotions, the passions, the deeds, and the thoughts of the body. All rights are released, and the body is delivered to God to do with it as he pleases. All control is given over. So first question is, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice, to present our bodies a living sacrifice? Second question, what does it mean to be holy and acceptable? What does it mean to be holy and acceptable? Well, the word holy means something consecrated and set apart. Yeah, it should be such. So consecrated, set apart. Here's what it is. It should be such that it inspires others to draw closer to God because they witnessed this in you. Somebody should be able to see you and see your living sacrifice and be so caught up in what's going on. They themselves are drawn closer to God. Not that they'll always come to God and surrender to him, but there ought to at least be an impact. When someone, someone outside the faith sees me walking, sees me talking, sees me living my life, it should impact, sees my faith in God. It should impact them in such a way that they are amazed, they are in awe, they have this curiosity about God, whether or not they follow through with it is not on me, right? It reminds me, it reminds me uh, of what happens with King Nebuchadnezzar when he witnesses the Hebrew boy's faith in yielding their bodies to God in the fiery furnace situation. You remember what happens in Daniel chapter 3, verses 28 through 29? It says this, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, watch this, this is good. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruin. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. King sees their faith. And the fact they yielded, I love the language because it's similar language to what Paul uses in Romans 12. They yielded their bodies in faith to God, even in, a, in the midst of and in the face of a challenge such as a, a hot fiery furnace that had been heated up seven times hotter than normal. And the king witnesses this, and he is amazed. Remember I told you, you don't have control over what happens. We don't know the King Nebuchadnezzar ever came to faith. But we do know what he says about what he saw. When someone's life is totally sold out, separated, and sacrificed to God, it will be an awe-inspiring thing. It demonstrates the power of God like nothing else. So let's look at this word acceptable. 
The word acceptable means well-pleasing, satisfying. Just as the animal sacrifices were pleasing aroma to God, so we should live as to please him in all that we think, say, and do. God is pleased when a life is sacrificed on the altar of, sir, of his service for his glory. It honors him like nothing else can. It proves his power. It shows his glory. It tells a lost world that God makes a difference in the lives he touches by his power. What we do, how we serve, how we sacrifice makes a difference. What does it mean, in first question, what does it mean to present our bodies as a living sacrifice? Second question, what does it mean to be holy and acceptable? Lastly, what is spiritual worship? This last part of this verse, our spiritual worship. What does that mean? It means our reasonable reverence. What does that mean? First thought is, why would we or why would I, why would I say that this means reasonable reverence? Because shouldn't we just revere God? Why, do, why does it have to be reasonable? Well, it's the text. It's what Paul says. He says, so here's, here's what Paul says. The, the very least we should do, if we would just be reasonable about it, reasonable about it, reasonable thought, reasoning should lead us, just if we're reasonable, should lead us to know that the very least that we could do is worship God. Because of all he's done, at the, the, the least, as we, as we present our bodies a living sacrifice, the least that we could do if we're just reasonable would be to worship him. The word worship is translated from the Greek, Greek word latria. Everybody say latria. It means this, divine worship, expressing, expressing homage to God. That's the word Paul uses here. And if we think about it, if we're reasonable in our thought, as we look back over what God has done, we should not be able to help ourselves but to offer up divine worship and homage to an all-powerful God. One commentator says of this word, Latria, he says this, any ministry performed for God, such as that of the priests and the Levites, Christians are believer priests. You know, we are the priesthood of the believer, which means that we are our own priests now. We no longer need to go to anybody. We have access now. The veil has been torn from top to bottom, and we have access now into the Holy of Holies. And because of that, uh, we are identified with the great high priest, Jesus himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. A, a, a believer's offering of his total life as a sacrifice to God is therefore sacred service. So Paul says our, our spiritual worship is what we should offer. It's what Paul makes reference to in Philippians chapter 1 verses 20 through 26. I'm almost done. This is what Paul says. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For, here it is, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I live, that needs to be some fruit, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. 
I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. It's far better. It's far better, right? But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know what he says? He says, my life means nothing if I don't sacrifice it completely to God. To live for me means I offer him everything. But if I die, it's gain for me. If, 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 I, if I depart, which I would rather do, I would rather leave this place, but if I'm staying here, I might as well make good use of my time here. I may as well be a good example to everyone who sees me. I should live completely and totally a life that is surrendered and submitted. I need to wave the white flag every day. Lord, I surrender. I surrender all. I surrender all. That's what Paul is saying. Can I close out with this quote? You know, I like to close out with either a quote or a poem or an illustration or something. Can I give you this quote? I think, I think it's befitting of everything we've just said, right? Here's, here's what, this, this quote is from John Calvin. John Calvin says this, we are not our own. We can stop right there, right? You can just quit, leave it, and just go, and I can sit, do the benediction. We can leave. We are not our own. But Calvin has some other things to say. Let not our reason nor our will therefore sway our plans and deeds, ours. We are not our own. Let us therefore not set it as our goal to seek what is expedient for us according to the flesh. We are not our own. He keeps saying that. And so far as we can, let us therefore forget ourselves and all that is ours. Then he ends with this, conversely. We're not our own. We are God's. Let us therefore live for him and die for him. We are God's. Let his wisdom and will therefore rule our actions. Why? Because we are God's. Let all the parts of our life accordingly strive toward him as our only lawful goal, the purpose of our life, the goal of our life should be to strive for him and to present our bodies a living sacrifice, a living, lay it on the altar. Lay it on the altar. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your will, for your way. Thank you. Thank you. We commit ourselves, surrender ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.